Well, Woodlands Church, we're in this series we're calling Soul Safari, and this week we sort of had a safari of our own at Woodlands Church. We've got a wild hog problem. Literally, these wild pigs have been rooting up some of the flower beds at the Woodlands campus, so we thought we'd have a little fun with it this weekend. Um, I don't know about you, but I love television shows like The Office. I think I've watched every episode of The Office maybe two or three times, and now Chris and I are into Parks and Recreation, where Leslie Nope leads her great park and rec team to solve big problems in the small town of Pawnee, Indiana. And so I don't know if you've seen Parks and Recreation, but we thought we would sort of combine a Woodlands Church staff safari after the wild pigs in a Parks and Rec style episode. And here's what happened. Just watch. I love our staff team. We may not be actors, but your staff team at Woodland Shirts is amazing. They work so hard and they have fun. I'm just so proud of each and every one of them. In fact, this is the best staff team that any church in America has, and you are blessed to have them. I just praise God for them. I love belonging to that team. They're amazing, yeah. Well, today in our Soul Safari, we're going on a hunt for something that no human being can survive without, and that's belonging. You see, in the African Serengeti, every animal needs a place to belong. The lions have a pride to belong to. The wildebeest have a herd. The wild dogs have a pack. Bats have a colony. Eagles have a flock. Bees have a swarm. Every animal needs a place to belong. In fact, the animals in the Serengeti that find themselves isolated and all alone, don't survive very long. And you can't survive very long without belonging. You are made to belong. God placed within your soul this deep longing for belonging. So I want you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter four, and would you stand in honor of God's word and just follow along with me. 1 John chapter four, beginning with verse four. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. Those people belong to this world, so they speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. Dear God, I pray that you would help us listen to you because you speak to us, and you tell us, Lord, not what makes us feel good, but what gives us total fulfillment. Because what we need, Lord, to be happy is not to do whatever we want to do, but it's to do what we were made to do. And in this series, Lord, you're showing us what our souls were made for. So I pray today you would just guide us to this thing called belonging so that we would become who you made us to be. And you would fill our souls, Lord, with what we really need so that we can do what we were made to do And I just thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you do chase us down and your reckless love, Lord, will never stop chasing us. And I pray for those today who've never received you that they would just turn to you and receive you, that they would, Lord, just allow you to adopt them into their family. And I pray for all those going through difficulties and pain and heartache, that you would just show them that you know where they're at and what they're going through and that they belong to you and you'll never let them go. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated, and I want you to underline the phrase, belong to God, and the phrase, belong to this world. 
you were made to belong. You're gonna gravitate toward belonging. Either you will belong to God or you'll belong to the world. Either you'll go with the flow of your soul and run to God, or you'll go with the flow of your flesh in this culture and you'll run into a world of selfishness which leads to a world of isolation. And you will have a lot of people around you. You will be in a crowd, but you'll feel all alone. I mean, you can be in the middle of a large crowd and yet feel completely alone. You can have the most recognizable face on the planet and feel completely unknown. I read a study recently where the average American hasn't made a new friend in five years. That's because we settle for fake belonging, an imitation of the real thing. We're more connected to social media than we've ever been, but we're more disconnected from real belonging than ever before. Real belonging is being completely known, completely loved, completely accepted. Our greatest desire is to be totally known, and yet our greatest fear is to be totally known, because if you totally know me, you know everything about me, you may reject me. And that's why to really find belonging that your soul is longing for, first you have to risk rejection. You have to risk rejection. Your greatest fear shouldn't be the fear of rejection, it should be the fear of never being known, of going through your whole life without anyone really knowing the true you. We have this deep desire to be truly known, but we have this great fear of being known. So we'll do just about anything to keep from being totally known, yet we want desperately to be totally known. In the Serengeti, it's mostly made up of grasslands. So it's miles and miles of grasslands, and so there's no place for the animals to hide. Everything's just out in the open. They can't hide in plain sight. And that's one of the differences between human beings and the rest of the animals is that we're great at hiding in plain sight. We do it by wearing masks. We mask our emotions. We mask our true feelings. We mask our fears. We mask our brokenness and our sins. We're really good at wearing masks. Now, we don't start out in life by wearing masks. I mean, kids freely express their emotions openly. They don't wear masks, they don't mask their emotions. If a child is happy, you just see it on their face. If a child is sad, I mean, they just show it. If a child is angry, they just express it, whether they're in the grocery store or on an airplane or in the house. They're gonna show it because they don't mask their emotions. You see, none of us started out with masks. It's just as we go through life, our hearts get wounded by rejection. And so we learn to wear a mask to hide our true feelings, to try to fit in. And we wear those masks and it keeps us from being known. It isolates us. It keeps us from finding our deepest longings of the soul, that longing to belong. And we put the masks on and we hide. And yet our deepest desire is to finally get rid of the mask. But we're so good at wearing masks, we can smile while our heart is broken. We can put on the mask of everything's under control when everything in our life is spinning out of control. We can put on the mask of morality when we're just struggling with the destructive sin. Our deepest desire is to finally take off the mask and be completely known, but our deepest fear is to finally take off the mask and be completely known and be rejected. The only way that you can risk rejection is to remember who you belong to. The only way you can risk rejection and, and really 
seek belonging and find belonging is you gotta remember first who you belong to. You can't get belonging unless you remember who you belong to. So who do you belong to? Look at this next passage. In Romans 8, 15, it says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. If you're a Christ follower, you need to remember who you belong to. You're a child of God. You no longer are a slave to the fear of rejection. God shed his perfect sinless blood so that he could adopt you into his forever family. If you're a Christ follower, you don't have to fear rejection anymore because the God of the universe knows you. You are known. By the way, every one of you within the sound of my voice, you need to know something, you're known. God knows everything about you. Sometimes we try to hide from God. You can't hide from God. He knows everything. The God who knows everything about you, who sees every action that you take, who hears every word that you say, who knows every thought that you think, loves you completely. So you are known, totally known by God. He knows the good, bad, and ugly, and yet he loves you completely. And he says, I shed my perfect sinless blood so you could be part of my family. I wanna adopt you, but you get to choose whether or not you come into God's family. God gives you that choice. But his desire is for you to be his child. If you're a Christ follower, you are a child of God. You belong to God. In fact, he says, you can call me Abba. That word Abba just means dada. It means you can call me daddy God. So the God who knows everything about me says, I love you perfectly and I accept you completely and I want you to call me daddy. You're part of my family. You belong to me. Don't ever forget who you belong to because if the God of the universe knows everything about me and he loves me completely, then I can risk loving you even if you reject me. I can risk rejection because so what? If you reject me, the God of the universe says, you're worth dying for. You're part of my family. I love you. I know everything about you and I love you. I can risk being known by you because I'm known by the God of the universe and he accepts me and loves me. That frees you up to risk rejection so that you can find connection. You know the Lion King. Disney's The Lion King, you know the story of young Simba the lion, how he was heir to the kingdom, and, and then he's falsely blamed for killing his father, Mufasa, who was the king. Scar, the lion that killed Mufasa, of course, lies to young Simba, and he says, it's all your fault. You need to run away from here. You should be ashamed. Run away from here and never come back. And so Simba runs away in shame and guilt and fear. He never wants to face the pride again. He's given up on his dream of becoming king one day, and then he's out there in the wild, and he has a vision of his father. His father appears to him in a vision. And Mephasa says in the voice of James Earl Jones, remember who you are. That sounded more like Darth Vader. Let me try that again. <laughs> remember who you are. Simba, you have forgotten me. And of course, Simba says, Father, how could I ever have forgotten you? And he says, you have forgotten who you are, and therefore you have forgotten me. Remember who you are. You are my child, the one true king. And of course, Simba then goes back, and he faces the shame, and he's able to go back and, and get the victory. Why? Because he remembers who he belongs to. 
And God says to you today, remember who you are. You are mine. You are a child of the king. You are righteous and forgiven in me. I know everything about you, the good, bad, and the ugly, and yet I choose to accept you and love you. I died for you. You are mine. You are a child of the king. You remember who you belong to, then you can risk rejection. But yet Satan, like Scar, comes to us and whispers shame in our ears, and he says, you're not worth anything. You'll never be worth it. You're not enough. You'll never be enough. You should be ashamed of yourself. Look at all of your sins and mess ups. You're a mess. God is ashamed of you. God can't use you. God is done with you. God is tired of forgiving you. You don't have what it takes. You'll never be enough. You're not valuable. You're not worth it. He will whisper those lies over and over to you. Don't give the enemy an inch of ground in this battle for belonging, this cosmic clash that's being waged in the universe between God and Satan. And God who says, I died to buy you and adopt you, and Satan who says, you're not worth it. All you have to do is rest in what the God of the universe says. He says you're worth dying for. That's your true identity. How do you know how much something is worth? It's whatever someone's willing to pay for it. I mean, you can say your car is worth whatever you want to say, but it doesn't matter. It's only worth whatever someone's willing to pay for it. You can say your house is worth this or worth that, but it's only what someone's willing to pay for it. So how much are you worth? The God of the universe was willing to die an excruciatingly painful, horrific death on a cross because he said you're worth that much. He says you're worth that much. That's how much you're worth. That's your value. That's your identity, but in this cosmic clash over belonging, Satan wants to steal your identity. He's the best identity thief there is. He wants you to forget whose you are and who you belong to so you forget who you are. You're a child of the true king, totally forgiven, righteous in Christ because of what he's done, not because of what you can do for yourself. God knows everything about you, and yet he still loves you completely. You're a child of God, bought with a price, the perfect sinless blood of the God of the universe. And when you remember who you belong to, then you can risk rejection and you can pursue connection. That's the second thing I want you to see. Pursue connection. If we want to find the belonging that we're longing for, we have to risk rejection and then pursue connection. In Romans 12, 5, it says, we are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. So we belong to God if you're a child of God, and then we're to belong to each other in the body of Christ. Whenever a child is born, they automatically become a part of the universal family of human beings. But they also need to be a part of a specific family so they can be nurtured and cared for and grow and, and be healthy. It's the same spiritually. The moment you were born again, you became part of God's universal family, but you also need a specific local expression of God's family. You need to be a member of a church family. The Christian life's not just a matter of believing, it's a matter of belonging. The difference between being a church attender and a church member can be summed up in one word, commitment. A church attender is a spectator on the sidelines. A church member is someone who's involved in the ministry. An attender is a consumer. A member is a contributor. An attender is someone who wants the benefits of a church without sharing the responsibility. It's sort of like a couple who wants to live together without the commitment to marriage. 
Why is it important to join a local church family and be committed? Well, our culture has an aversion to commitment. And because of it, people want independence, want freedom, don't want to commit to anything. And because of this aversion to commitment, we have so many people who are isolated in their soul. Because it's not in doing what you feel like doing that makes you happy, it's doing what you're made to do that makes you happy. What you're created to do. And so we have this aversion to commitment. You cannot have belonging without commitment. You have to commit to God. You commit to each other in a local church family. You see, when you commit to membership in a local church family, what you're doing is you're committing to your other brothers and sisters in Christ to say, I'm going to love you in reality and not just theory. We're called to love each other. You know, not just in theory, but in reality. We're called to love people with faults and flaws, and, and we're called to love God, and he loves us in spite of our faults and flaws and sins, and we're called to love each other and to connect with each other. And that's commitment. It's committing to God and committing to each other. And by the way, the person you'll become five years from now will be determined not by what you want to be like, not by what you're thinking you'll be like, but by the commitments you make today. Commitments are like magnets. You make them, they draw them. They draw you to them. And commitment is the key to success. But a lot of people go through life like they're going through a buffet line and they're thinking, you know, I'm gonna hold off, not put anything on my plate yet because this is all the healthy stuff. I'm waiting for all the good stuff. And they keep waiting, keep waiting. They, I think a lot of people are gonna come to the end of the line in life and look back and realize they didn't commit to anything except for themselves. And they wonder why they feel so empty. And a lot of people commit to about a thousand different things half-heartedly and never commit to the two or three things that are gonna make all the difference in their life. And they're just running around, busy with a crowded schedule, but an empty life. It's so important to make a few commitments that make all the difference. To commit to the things that you were made for. Not the things that you feel like doing at the moment, which leave you empty, but the things that you were made for, which bring happiness and fulfillment in your life. You were made for connection. So you have to pursue connection. And I would just say, if you're an attender and not a member, this is your day. Right after this service, we have our membership class. It's gonna be huge. It's from one to three. We feed you. We take care of the kids. If you're not signed up, it's okay. Just come on. We have extra. And that's how you join Woodland Church, just a, a little step of commitment. But it starts changing everything. And for those of you who are members and you're not in a life group, you need to get in a life group. There's no way you can grow to become all that God's called you to be without being in relationship with eight or 10 or 12 other people who are going the right direction, who don't have it all together, but they're going through the same life stage and, and you just have fun together, you fellowship together, you eat together, you connect together, you talk about your hurts, what you're going through together. And you don't have to be a Bible teacher to do that, to host a life group. All you have to do is just have a few friends and invite them over and we'll train you how to host and we give you the videos and the curriculum and everything and mainly it's just connecting, getting together and, and just enjoying fellowship together. Being connected is so important and if you say, hey, I'll risk and host a life group. If you're not in a life group, you gotta host one and you can go to wc.org and you can sign up. We're having these host gatherings this week to teach you how to host a life group. And it's really simple. So I hope you'll sign up. If you haven't joined, today's your day. 
Don't be a spectator any longer. Do what you're made to do. Connect in membership. Davian only um, was a 15-year-old boy who'd been in the foster care system, and he told his caseworker that he was ready to be adopted no matter what. And he said he'll, he'd do anything to be adopted. And, and she said, well, Davian, you're 15 years old, and the older you get, the less chance there is of you being adopted, so don't get your hopes up. But she really wanted to help him, so they came up with this plan that he would go before his church family at the end of a service, and he would make an announcement. And that's what he did. He said, my name is Davian only, and I have been in the foster care system since I was born. I know God hasn't given up on me, and I haven't given up. I wanna be adopted. I don't care if you're young or old, if you're black or white or purple, I don't care. I just wanna be adopted. I just want people to love me for who I am, to grab me and keep me in their house and love me no matter what. Well, the video of that announcement after church went viral, and within weeks, 10,000 people had inquired about how they could adopt Davian. And three years later, ABC just did an interview with Davian and asked him, now that he's been adopted into a wonderful family, what it feels like, and he said, it feels safe. He says, finally, I have a family, a place to belong. He said, I feel safe and protected. No matter what, they're gonna love me. And that makes all the difference. You see, Davian put himself out there and he risked rejection. So what do you need to do to find belonging instead of isolation? And I'm not talking about how many people you have in your network or how many followers you have on Facebook or how many likes on Instagram or followers on Twitter. I'm just saying to you, how many true friends do you have? You have a thousand Facebook friends and not one friend you can sit down with face to face and share your heart and what's really going on with you. I found that most men don't have one friend, one true friend. A lot of acquaintances, people they do things with, but not one true friend. And so, what about you? Are you gonna risk rejection? Are you gonna risk stepping out in faith to connect with others? Are you gonna just take a little baby step of risk and connect to a church family, become a member? rather than just an attender on the sidelines? Risk rejection, pursue connection, and you'll experience protection. That's what's amazing about it. God says, I'll protect you. It won't be perfect, it won't be perfection, it'll be protection. In Isaiah 43, God says to you today, do not be afraid, for I've bought you and made you free. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not flow over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. I want you to underline the phrase, you are mine. God says, you belong to me, I'm gonna protect you. You are mine, I've got your back. It's gonna be painful, there's gonna be troubles, trials, there'll be floods, but they're not gonna, you're not gonna drown, I'm gonna see you through, I'll be in the flood with you. There'll be fires, but you're not gonna be burned, I'm gonna protect you, I'm gonna guide you. There's gonna be a lot of pain in this life, a lot of hurt, but I'm gonna see you through and I'm gonna heal you. And then underline the phrase, bought you and made you free. He says, I've bought you, you're mine, so you should be free from rejection because I bought you with my perfect sinless blood. I paid a high price for you, that's how much you are worth. Jesus bled in seven places as he went to the cross and he died for our sins to buy us. Did you realize that? The first place that Christ bled was he bled from his Brow in the garden of Gethsemane as he sweat drops of blood. He sweat drops of blood throughout his body. And medical experts tell us that when someone's in such mental anguish, 
extreme mental anguish, then the capillaries in their forehead can burst and they can pour out through their pores with sweat and sweat drops of blood. And that's what happened to our Lord and Savior. He was getting ready to die for the sins of the world, to take upon himself the most horrific sins that have ever been committed. My sins, your sins, all our shame, all our failures, all our mess ups. He was getting ready to take upon his perfect soul, all of those sins, and he was in deep anguish. The Son of God wasn't exempt from anxiety and anguish and fear. Those feelings come over human beings, and we can't help that when they come over us, and he was all human and yet all God. And those overwhelming feelings, being burdened by that mental anguish, caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. I don't think it was a coincidence that the first place Jesus bled was in a garden because the first place we lost our innocence was in the garden. Back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve, who were totally known by each other and known by God and felt total acceptance and total love until sin entered the relationship and the cover-up started. They started wearing masks, masks of fig leaves, to hide from each other, to hide from God. The hiding started, but I believe Jesus bled first in the garden so that that blood could bring me back to the garden of belonging where I can be totally known and I can risk rejection because of his acceptance. The second place Christ bled was on his back as he was whipped 39 times by what they called the cat of nine tails. The Roman soldiers would take this whip that had nine strands and on each strand there'd be a bone fragment that was really sharp or a stone that was really sharpened and, and they would whip the person's back and those fragments would tear into their back sometimes two inches deep and then they would pull it away and it would rip off flesh. And after 39 lashes, many people would die during that process, but it would tear all their skin off the back and all that would be left would be muscle and blood exposed. And Christ bled from his back. And I think about all the times that in life we get stabbed in the back, wounded by someone we trust, betrayed, hurt, wounds that you didn't have anything to do with that weren't your fault, but someone hurt you deeply. And I think about how Christ bled from his back to take away all the wounds in our lives that were caused by someone else so that we don't have to hold on to the bitterness, but we can let it go just like the blood that flowed down his back so that we can find forgiveness and give forgiveness and we can get healing from the wounds that have come from others. The next place that Jesus bled was it says that he was beaten and bruised that he was beaten so severely, he had internal bleeding, the blood pulled up under the skin. And I think about all the sins and failures and the hurts that we try to hide deep underneath the surface. And Christ bled from under his skin so he could get under our skin and under the surface of our lives and heal us at the deepest point because he knows every secret. He can heal us at our deepest wounds and deepest brokenness. The next place Christ bled was he bled on his brow when the Roman soldiers mocked him. They said, you're the king of the Jews. You need a crown. And they formed a crown out of a Middle Eastern thorn bush. And the thorns were two or three inches long. And they pressed it into his head and all the capillaries in his head that started pouring forth blood. Blood came down in such a manner that it caked over his eyes and 
He, he couldn't see, just blood all over his face. It says he was more marred than any man and disfigured, and you couldn't recognize him, the scripture says. And he shed those drops of blood from the thorns in his brow. Now the thorn represents the consequences of our sin. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, one of the consequences of their sin was there'd be thorns and thistles now in the garden that they would have to deal with. Every rose that was beautiful would now have thorns. There would be thorns. There would be consequence for their sin. And the consequence for our sin is shame. The thorn of shame keeps us from getting close to others. It keeps us isolated. It keeps us from really looking to God and running to God. It's our shame that keeps us isolated in self. We miss out on belonging. But Christ took the thorns in his brow and he bled from his brow, not only to forgive us of our sins, but also to take away the consequences of our sin, to remove our shame so that we can now walk boldly to God and we can face our shame and say, that may have been what I've done, but that's not who I am because I'm forgiven in Christ. I don't have to have shame anymore. I can be real and open and honest because of what Christ has done. He died not only to forgive you, but also to take away the consequences of the sin. All of your shame. The next place that Christ bled was his hands. He stretched out his hands and took the nails. And he stretches out his hands today and says, I reach out for you. He risked rejection. Think about it. The God who made you to love you gave you the choice to love him back because love's not love unless it gives that choice. And so he reaches out his nail-scarred hands and he says, I'm gonna risk reaching out to you. You can reject me. You can spit in my face like they did when he was on the cross. You can curse my name. You can choose to believe I don't exist, but I'm gonna reach out and I want you to be part of my family. Even on the cross, he was accepted and rejected. He reached out his nail-scarred hand, and one of the thieves on one side rejected him. The one on the other side accepted his free gift and became part of his forever family that day. And he reaches out his nail-scarred hand to you today, and he says, just take hold of my hand. You can reject me, or you can accept me, but I will love you. I will always love you, and I'll always reach out my hand. The next place that he bled, that sixth place, was his feet. The same feet that just a few hours before had stepped up walked over and grabbed a towel and a basin filled with water and then knelt down and washed his disciples' feet. And then he said, now that you've seen me do these things, follow my example. For the greatest among you will be the servant of all. He was saying that there's power in serving. He was saying that the power is not in your title it's in the towel of serving. The power is not in the trophies you accumulate in this life, it's in the towel of serving. The power is not in the treasures that you rack up in this life, the power is in the towel of serving. And he says, I want you to take the towel of serving and find fulfillment and serve the people in your family. And I want you to serve the people in your life. I want you to belong to each other and serve each other and care for each other and love each other and put others ahead of yourself. That's when you'll find joy. And the last place that Jesus shed his blood, the seventh place, was his side. The soldiers pierced him with a spear in his side, and the scripture says blood and water flowed out. Medical experts tell us that the reason blood and water would have flowed out is because Christ was dead and his heart had burst, and blood and water would have flowed out. You see, the normal cause of death and crucifixion was asphyxiation. When you're on the cross, 
your lungs would collapse over time because to breathe, you'd have to push yourself up so painfully on the spike in your feet and your hands. You would pull yourself up so that your lungs would have the, the room to expand so that you could breathe in oxygen. And over time, you weren't able to do that. It was a slow, painful death. It was caused by asphyxiation eventually. That's why at the end of the day, the Roman soldiers wanted to finish this up, and so they came to both of the thieves, and they realized they were still alive, so they broke their legs so they couldn't push themselves up any longer, so they'd be asphyxiated, and they would die quickly. But when they came to Jesus, they found he was already dead, and they punctured his side just to make sure these experts in death, and the blood and water flowed out because he had a broken heart. His heart had burst. He died of a broken heart so that he could heal your broken heart. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the wounds in your heart, but Christ shed his blood in seven places to cover all your wounds and all your sin and all your shame and all your hurt. And he says, I want you to be part of my forever family. You are mine. I want you to belong to me. You're my child. Will you say, Carrie, isn't everyone a child of God? No. God created everyone, but not everyone's a child of God. He wants everyone to be a child of his and in his family. He signed the adoption papers in his blood, but you have to also sign. He has to give you a choice. Do you want to be part of his family? And for those of you who are part of his family, you belong to God. Don't give the enemy an inch of ground in your life. You belong to God. When he whispers to you that you're not worth it, you say, I am more valuable than you could ever know, Satan, because I am a child of God. And he chose to die and shed his perfect sinless blood for me to adopt me into his family. I am righteous in Christ. I'm a child of the king, and I'm worth dying for. And that says everything. You are worth the God of the universe's love because of who he is. And so I just say to you today, who do you belong to? Who do you belong to? Let's bow together. Dear God, I thank you for shedding your blood in those seven places so that we could belong to you. And Lord, I just pray today for everyone who you created within the sound of my voice, but they haven't really signed up to be your child. They don't belong to you, Lord, right now. And I pray that they would just pray this prayer Dear God, I need you. Jesus Christ, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I accept your adoption. I want to be part of your family. I want to be your child. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I accept your free gift of heaven one day. Help me grow in my faith. And then, Lord, I pray for everyone who's been listening to the liar, Satan, the enemy, in their life, telling them that they can't be used of you, that you're through with them, that they'll never be enough. Lord, help them remember who they belong to and remember what you've done for them and to step into that and live in that. I pray for those, Lord, who are going through pain and hurt, that they would just remember that every wound that they have that you've covered with your blood and they would receive that healing power that only you can give. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Praise God for who he is and praise God for whose you are. Now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he's given us. And as we give, just thank him. Just thank him that he will give back to you more than you give and thank him for all the ministries and missions of the church. By the way, pray for our team in Malawi right now. 
We have a team in Malawi. We have a team out almost every week, but they're bringing clean water and doing some amazing things. Uh, pray for all of our ministries that God will multiply these gifts, but give because you love him. Lord, we pray that you would bless our giving. We thank you for Woodlands Church. We thank you for how you bring people together, Lord, and how everyone is needed. Every member is part, Lord. And I pray for those maybe who've never given, maybe never been a part of Woodlands Church, that you would help them, Lord, give and become a part of it, Lord, to be used of you for your glory. And I pray that for every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.